beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, David is in danger. David is in distress. For a long time already, he has been pursued by Saul. Saul wants to kill him. David's been on the run. And at this point, in this particular situation about which he is writing in this psalm, he is far from his home. He's far from his loved ones. He's, he's been driven to extremes. He's had to take refuge amongst the Philistines or the Philistines. He's, he's had to take refuge amongst the enemies of God's people. And now he's in even more danger. He's in terrible danger because the Philistines, the Philistines are, are distrusting him and they're about to imprison him or perhaps even kill him. So there's danger from every side. And there's great fear. There's anxiety. What does the future hold? The future looks bleak for David. And it's in this circumstance that he cries out to the Lord when he seems to be in a dead end. We don't have physical enemies hounding us like David did. Well, this COVID-19 disease, this pandemic, is an invisible enemy, and it's rather terrifying, isn't it? There's anxiety about our health, about the health of our loved ones, about the health of our community, and that anxiety can be oppressive. And we are being driven apart from one another, driven apart from loved ones. You know, things are bad when you don't even dare to get a hug from your grandchildren. Or you don't dare to give grandpa or grandma a hug and a kiss. We can't meet with all of God's people all together in the congregation. And then there are other threats. There, there are the retirement savings which are evaporating. There are businesses disappearing. There is lost income. There is uncertainty. Who knows if and when the economy will recover? No matter how hard we try, it's difficult to avoid feeling the fear, the anxiety which wells up within us. Now, the Bible is very realistic. The Bible is very honest about the human condition. It's amazing. David wrote these words about 3,000 years ago. And there are massive differences between our lives and his time. We live in another world. If David had been teleported through time and space from where he was living to our current situation, it would blow his mind. He wouldn't be able to process the world in which we live. It's so different. And yet, human beings don't change that much. The book of Psalms has been called an anatomy of the soul. It speaks to all the different psychological states and experiences of the human heart, of the soul, the mind. And it still speaks to us today. Technology may change. 
But human beings with their psychological vulnerabilities, their anxiety, their fears, their joys, their emotions, human beings are very much the same. And so David has cried out to God, God be gracious, man tramples on me, I'm being attacked all day long. And then he comes to verse 3 and he's, he's very honest. He says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. The two are there together in David's heart and David's life. There is fear and there is trust and they are cohabiting. It's not, it's not a magic wand. It's not as though David is in fear and then he says, well, I'm going to trust in the Lord. And then all of a sudden, magically, all his fears disappear and his entire situation is changed and everything's happy and good. Not the way it works. Rather, it's like this. It's like a drowning person that is grabbing onto a lifeline. And that lifeline gives hope. That lifeline speaks of a way out. And so the drowning person holds on for dear life, even as the storm smashes over them with more powerful waves, which take their breath away. Fear. And trust are often there together in the Christian's heart and in the Christian life. And that's okay. Being a child of God doesn't mean that you're absolutely unconcerned about anything, that you're just stoic, that nothing can faze you, that you're not worried about anything. God knows who we are. God knows our frame. God knows that we are only dust. God knows how weak we are. We need to hold on for dear life to God's promises. In fact, the greater the danger, the greater the fear, the tighter we hold on. We trust when we are afraid. We put our trust in him because we know that he will come through, that he will help us right early, that he will never leave us or abandon us or forsake us. And as the waves of the storm crash over us and toss us to and fro, we feel afraid. Oh, yes, we feel afraid. And we wonder, how in the world will God do it? How is he going to make this turn out for his glory and for my good? I don't see it. And as we wonder, and as we fear, we hold on. We trust. That's what our brother David did. That's what the Holy Spirit calls us to do. Hold on, dear child of God. Hold on. Despite your fears, hold on even in your fears and anxiety. Hold on to him. Put your trust in him. And there's a reason why David can do that. 
He's not just putting blind trust in some divine being that maybe might be able to help me out one day. No, he knows who God is. And he knows what God does. And he knows what God promises. And he knows that God keeps his promises. You know why? Because he knows God's word. That's who he puts his trust in. Look at verse 4. I put my trust in you. Who is you? In God, whose word I praise. That's how we hold on to God. We hold on to what he says. Because God is a speaking God. That's how the universe came into being. And God said, let there be light. That's how we know who God is and what God does in Jesus Christ. Because God speaks to us. God is a speaking God. And so we hold on to what he says. We hold on to his word. We hold on to his promises because in his word, he tells us who he is, that he is loving, that he is gracious, that he is compassionate, that he is almighty God, that he is everlasting father. And it is in his word that he tells us what he has done for us. He tells us about his glorious work of creation. He tells us about his gracious work of redemption. He tells us how much he loves us with an eternal love in Christ. How he pours his love, how he pours his spirit into our hearts. And it is in his word that he tells us that through all the chaos of history, he is driving forward with his unstoppable plan to bring us Back home to Father. To bring us into his presence in a renewed world where there are no more tears. And no more fears. He tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's how we... Know who God is and what he does through his word. And that's why we know that when we are afraid, we can put our trust in him. And so David does that. The more he holds on to the promises of God's word, the more trust gains the ascendancy And fear loses its control, its grip on him. The fear is still there, but it's not dominating. It's not running the show. It's not in charge. And so he says, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Or if David could say that with the little bit of revelation that he had. What about us? We have so much more revelation than David had. We have so much more proof of God's love towards us in Christ than David could even imagine. David had the prophecies. We have the recorded history of the finished work of the Messiah. We have so much more word to praise to hold on to. 
And so that's what David does, and that's what God calls us to do today. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Now, as David comes to this point where trust and faith have the ascendancy, even though the fears are still snapping at his heels, that doesn't mean to say that magically the sky's clear and the sun comes out and it's all roses. Look at verse 5, look at verse 6, look at verse 7. The problem's still there. They're injuring me all day long. Their thoughts are against me for evil. They're stirring up strife. They look, they watch my steps, they wait for my life. They need to be dealt with, these wicked, wicked people that are trying to destroy me. So the problem's still there. But here's what's different. You see, the external circumstances haven't really changed. But something has changed in David's heart. The way he sees the circumstances. He has, by looking at God, by looking at the Word of God, by holding on to the Word of God, by putting his trust in God, he has perspective. He's got the big picture. And he knows who God is and what God does. Look at verse 8. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? David is not struggling alone. God knows. God knows. God knows him. God knows his anxieties. God knows his fears. God knows the danger in which he is. God knows because every hair which falls from our head is numbered. Because every tear which falls from our eye is counted. God knows what's in your heart. God knows what you're facing. God knows your struggles. And he cares. He's not just this great big impersonal computer in the sky crunching all the data without feelings. That's not who God is. What does the scripture say? We have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our suffering. He knows pain. He knows what it is to be sick, to be hungry. He knows what it is to weep at the graveside of a loved one. He knows what it is to suffer. He knows psychological pressure so massive that it pressed out of him the bloody sweat in the garden of Gethsemane as the fearful terrors of hell assaulted him. God knows. And so, look at verse 9. My enemies will turn back. In the day when I call. That's all it takes. That's all I need to do. 
I just need a call. I need to call upon the Lord. I need to cry out to God. I need to lift my heart to Him. I need to have a vision of Him in all His glory, in all His power. Almighty God, Sovereign Lord, Master of the universe, all things so completely in His hand that without His will, they cannot so much as move. That's exactly where God wants us. And if you read through the scriptures, he teaches this lesson over and over and over. God wants us there where we despair of all of our resources for we have none. Where we despair of any way out because there is none. Where there is no hope left There is no solution. We have no control. And all we can do is cry out to God. That's where he wants us. And when we do that, when we stop trying to figure things out, when we stop trying to fool ourselves that we're running the show and that we can get things fixed when we just cry out return to him then all the fears and all the threats are put in perspective in the face of his almighty loving sovereign glory all our enemies simply pale insignificance they're exposed as paltry and pathetic and we can look them in the face and we can say this I know that God is for me and if God is for us who can be against us So we fix our eyes on God. We call out to him. We drink in the vision of his grace and his glory. And that puts everything into perspective. Again, why can David say this? How can he have this confidence? Well, look at verse 10. He's already said it once. Now he's going to say it twice. And then he's going to say it a third time. In God whose word I praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. He said it in verse 4. He says it again in verse 10 twice. Why am I doing this, says David? Why am I putting my trust in God? Why am I not afraid anymore? How do I know that God is for me? The word. Because God says. Because God says. Because God says. And what he says is truth. And you can build your life on it. And so I glory in. I embrace. I hold on for dear life to God's promises. And when I do that. Then I am weak but he is strong. 
and I hold on to my heavenly Father, and I look my enemies in the face, and I say, hey, enemies, hey, anxiety, hey, fear, hey, pandemics, hey, economic crisis, you know what? God is good. God is sovereign. God loves me with an eternal love, and God will avert all evil or turn it to my benefit. All things work together for the good of those who love God. God's love endures. God's love never fails. God is sovereign. God takes care of me. God has purchased me with the blood of Jesus. And he will hold on to me. Nothing can pluck me from his hand. And he will bring me through every tribulation until I come to eternal glory. Because it is written. Because he has said it. And all the promises of his word are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. The only way. For God's word not to be trustworthy. The only way for us not to be able to depend upon God fulfilling his word. The only way would be if the Lord Jesus Christ would cease to exist. And that is an impossibility. All the promises of his word are yes and amen. In Christ. And therefore, verse 11, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid, though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death. I fear no evil, for you are with me. What can man do to me? What can anything do to me? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. And so David ends the psalm in the same place that other psalms end up. Verses 12 and 13, we're we're reminded of Psalm 116. If you turn quickly to Psalm 116, there's a similar dynamic. The, The psalmist is in great distress. The snares of death encompass. The pangs of Sheol laid whole. There's distress. There's anguish. Then he calls out. And God is gracious. And God delivers, verse 8. And then look at the end of the psalm. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people. That's where David ends up. God delivers from the fears and the terrors of death. And the psalmist is driven to praise and to thanks with words and with actions, with life. He's driven to present himself as a living sacrifice of thankfulness. Brothers and sisters, this is where the Holy Spirit is driving us also this afternoon. Now, God has delivered us from a lot worse than a coronavirus pandemic and economic hardship. 
He has delivered us from the worst pandemic of them all, from our sin, from our misery. The power of sin has been broken. The throne of the kingdom of darkness has been toppled. Sin no longer has dominion over us. All the miseries, all the pain of this present life are just the death throes of the old order, the world which is passing away. They can hurt us, but they can't overcome us. You have delivered my soul from death. Yes, yet, yes, my feet from falling. And so what does the apostle tell us in Hebrews chapter 12? Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet. Carry on. Walk before God in the light of life. That's who you are. That's what you're called to do, to carry on. Keep on crying to God and carry on. Keep praying and carry on. Keep praising and carry on. Walk before God in the light of life. This is a wonderful moment for us as God's children to witness to those around us. As we, with all our fears, put our trust in him. As we hold on to his precious promises. And as we devote ourselves to a life of holy joy and thankfulness, no matter what happens. That is a living preaching of the gospel that the Holy Spirit can use to draw the fearful sinner to flee to the Lord Jesus Christ and take refuge with us in him. Now for the moment, we are still in the shadow lands. But already now, in the power of the Holy Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ, we walk in the light of the life and the glory of the world to come. And it's getting brighter and brighter every day as the world, the sinful, broken, corrupt world, which is about to pass away, as it gets worse and worse and darker and darker, the light of the life and the glory of the world to come shines brighter and brighter in the lives and the hearts and the words and the actions of the saints. And so we walk, we walk before God in the light of life. We carry on. And as we walk, we sing. Abide with me. Fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens. Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee. Help of the helpless. Oh, abide with me. Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. In life, in death, O Lord, abide with me. Yes, when we are afraid, we will put our trust in him. Amen.